Awesome. Well, just before we uh, get into the message today, let's, uh, let's pray. Uh, Lord, this morning uh, we want to come before you and thank you so much for your love and your grace towards us and for your ever-presence with us in the ups and downs of life. And Lord, we want to uh, lift up this morning um, the Joiner family as Bonnie Joiner passed away this last week on June 11th. And we, Lord, we pray for Angie and the family as they, uh, as they grieve, as they mourn, as they wrestle with questions now, and Lord, as they plan service for later this summer. Just walk with them in this time of grief and be close to them. Lord, too, this is a time of celebration as uh, we hit graduation weekend this next coming uh, weekend, and we thank you for that. And Lord, also for those uh, who have been to university and are graduating now, and Lord, the, uh, the celebrations aren't what uh, we would like, um, but Lord, in the, in the midst of that, uh, would you lead and guide and, uh, and speak to uh, those grads as to the next steps in their life, uh, that they would be following you. And, uh, and walking in your purposes for them. Lord, we thank you so much for what you have given us and how you've directed us and you've given us your word. And so, Lord, as we come to your word this morning, uh, revealed in scripture, would you speak to our hearts, our minds, our wills, our emotions, all that we are, um, Lord, so that we can follow you and love you with heart, mind, soul, and strength. In Jesus' name, amen. Yeah, that's just my microphone blowing in the wind. And I gotta, I gotta uh, apologize to uh, um, uh, to Ron Hoagie. So, because he came by the office this last week with with a container, and he said, "I just finished watching the service." And here's a container of big clips for your papers. For last week, things were blowing everywhere. And uh, he said, you should use this. Uh, but I forgot it this morning, so I'm back to using rocks. <clears throat> anyway, uh, this morning we're in the book of Malachi, chapter 1, verses 6 to 14. And so if you want to turn there. Uh, have you uh, gone shopping for anything recently? Have you been looking to maybe upgrade some, some uh, you know, maybe a vehicle or a house or, or uh, you know, maybe a computer, TV, uh, something along those lines? Uh, when you go through that process of, like, shopping for something significant, making an investment, do you just, like, read the manufacturer's website? Or do you go and do some other research, like, like look at uh, other, you know, what other people have said about it, their experience with the company, uh, their experience with the product, uh, how deeply do you go into uh, looking at what you're planning on buying? And, and how do you weigh quality versus what it costs? And sometimes, you know, uh, I had this fight all the time with uh, parents of guitar students because what a parent wants to do is buy the cheapest thing possible to see if their kid's actually interested in playing guitar, and so they'll go to like Walmart or Costco and they'll buy this thing that has wood and frets and some strings, but is the most, you know, for 40 bucks, 
and it's the most unplayable, painful thing you could possibly wrap your hands around, and then they wonder why their kid isn't interested in playing. Well, it's painful. It hurts. You know, after 25 years of playing, I would be like, I, I don't want to play this thing. And, and the, the challenge would be to say, hey, you know, I know you're trying to, you know, keep, it, keep the cost down, but actually go to a music store. They've got half-decent student model stuff now at a reasonable price, but, you know, look for something in the two to $300 range as an entry level, and most of them, are, but it's like, if you want to actually sound good, because these guitars wouldn't play in tune either, so like, it sounds bad, it's hard to play, <laughs> quality matters on things like that. And, and, and I think a lot of stuff in, in, in life, you know, we have to weigh quality versus cost and figure that out. Um, and this happens in the church too, right? You know, what do, we, what do we need and how can we do it the cheapest way possible? And sometimes that comes back to bite us because we'll try something and then, and then you know, it doesn't work, it doesn't look good, and then we end up doing the quality thing anyway, which then costs us more in the end. And, you know, we do this in our, our home lives too, but this, this, this happens all the time, you know, like, you know, um, that couch with the spring busted and the leg missing, well, I don't want it, so it's either going to the dump or the youth room, right? And that's generally how we can sometimes treat things, but quality matters. And we're going to look in Malachi today at the issue of quality when it comes to our worship of God. Malachi chapter 1, verses 6 to 14. A son honors his father, and a servant his master. If them I am a father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my fear? Says the Lord of hosts. To you, O priests who despise my name. But you say, how have we despised your name? By offering polluted food on my altar. But you say, how have we polluted you? By saying that the Lord's table may be despised. Wow, this microphone's horrible in this. When you offer blind animals in sacrifice, is that not evil? Which way is the wind blowing? <laughs> uh, when you offer blind animals in sacrifice, is that not evil? And when you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Present that to your governor. Will he accept you or show you favor, says the Lord of hosts? And now entreat the favor of God, that he may be gracious to us with such gifts from your hand. Will he show favor to any of you? says the Lord of hosts. Oh, that there were one among you who would shut the doors that you may not kindle fire on my altar in vain. I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts, and I will not accept an offering from your hand. For from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations, and in every place incense will be offered to my name and a pure offering, for my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. But you profane it when you say that the Lord's table is polluted and its fruit, that is, its food, may be despised. But you say, what a weariness this is, and you snort at it, says the Lord of hosts. You bring what has been taken by violence or is lame or sick, and this you bring as your offering. Shall I accept that from your hand, says the Lord? Cursed be the cheat who has a male in his flock and vows it and yet sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. 
For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name will be feared among the nations. So three things that we'll talk through in this passage is that esteem matters, excellence matters, and evangelistic witness matters. Esteem matters, excellence matters, and evangelistic witness matters. The first question God asks here is rhetorical. If I am a father, if a son honors his father and a servant his master, and if I am that to you, where's my honor and where is my glory? God is stating that the relationship he has with Israel in terms that everyone could understand, a father-son relationship and a servant-master relationship, But this first clause is also very significant because it actually kind of ties things back to Exodus chapter 3 and 4. When God calls Moses, he says to him in Exodus chapter 3, this will be a sign to you that when you come out of Egypt, you're going to serve God on this mountain. Often we translate that as worship. It's the same word. It goes either way. Uh, to be a servant is to be a worshiper. Uh, to be a worshiper is to be a servant. And serving God and worshiping God are one and the same thing. The first thing God says is, I'm going to draw Israel out and you are going to serve me in this place. <clears throat> wow, it's even windier than last week. Well, the second thing he says later on in, in uh, Exodus chapter 4 is, Israel is my firstborn son. So he makes a son-father relationship and a servant-master relationship with Israel right at the very beginning, even before the people come out of Egypt. And this has defined Israel's relationship for about a thousand years at this point. Right? Uh, Malachi's uh, prophesying somewhere around... Uh, for about 450 AD, and the Exodus happens around 1440 BC. So about a thousand years of relationship with Israel, summed up in this identifier, son, father, master, servant. And remember then the key theme of Malachi is that God says right off the top, I have loved you and I don't change. See, we need to esteem God, live in reverent awe of who he is, because he never gives up on a relationship with us. For a thousand years now, he's had this relationship with Israel, and it's gone sideways a number of times. They just got back from exile in Babylon. They spent like 70 years, you know, he, he rescued them. You know, just just start with the Exodus. Start in that kind of uh, first little bit, Exodus chapter 3 and 4. And God has to convince Moses to be a deliverer. God goes and he goes to Pharaoh and says, hey, let my people go. And Pharaoh says, no. And then Moses is like, okay, well, God, you failed that one. And, and then God sends him back again. And then Pharaoh makes life difficult for Israel. And Israel says, we don't want this. And then by the time, you know, the the months are about a year later after all of the plagues and the the crossing of the Red Sea and God's marvelous work to save Israel, what's the first thing that they do after the worship service? 
There's no water. You brought us out here to die. And it just repeats over and over and over again. But God never bails out on the relationship, no matter how sideways it goes. He is the Father who does not abandon his Son. He is the Lord who does not forsake his servant. This should be a place where then we come in worship and reverence and awe. Esteem matters. We need to esteem and reverence our God who does not give up on us, no matter what. Second, excellence matters. Really, the rest of the passage is all about this. You're, You're bringing to God, you know, because of all he's done, he's made you his people, he's brought you to himself, he's rescued you over and over and over again. He's never given up on the relationship Here's kind of the, the, the offerings, the, the meals that you're to have with God in his presence and in his temple, and you're bringing leftovers to the potluck. You know, you're just kind of scrounging through the fridge going, ah, that pepper's looking kind of wilted. We'll chop that up and throw it in, and uh, maybe we'll, you know, ah, there's some chicken wings that are left over from last night, and my kid chewed half of one, but we'll stick that on the plate too. And that's what you bring to potluck? <laughs> or, or if you really think about it more in the, uh, in, in the agricultural ranching terms here, it's like, okay, God said to bring the strongest, the best animal out of my flock. But that's the one I really want to breed. You know, I got this sick one over here that's got a lame leg, and, you know, and it's always got problems, and it's got issues, and I really don't want to breed that one. It's worthless to me. I can't sell it, can't use it for sacrifice, can't use it for anything. Uh, Let's take that one to church. (laughs) Let's give that one instead. It doesn't cost anything. It's actually a liability, right, to have this lame, sick animal. So why not just get rid of it? Why does God demand excellence in our offerings and worship? This is really quite annoying. He demands excellence in worship because his glory is revealed to a watching world through the relationship he establishes with his people. And our job, what we are called to do, is to reflect how much we love God for who he is. Worship at its heart is all about God. Worship centers on who God is. It begins with God, it ends with God, finds its fulfillment simply in enjoying God for who he is. The chief end of man is to worship God and enjoy him forever. Worship must be about God and for God. The focus of all of our gatherings must always be God himself. And so that requires some excellence, not perfection. We'll talk about some differences between the sacrificial system and now in a minute. But the easier we make worship, 
The less it costs us, the less invested we become, the more it becomes optional or an inconvenience. You know, and I I wonder how this year has undermined the sacredness of worship because it's now so easy to just not bother going. It's easier to stay at the lake. But here's the situation in Malachi's day is that the, it, it, it was leveled at the priests, actually. right? You look at that, he's saying, you know, um, you guys are actually accepting the lower. You're accepting the blind, the lame, the things that if you go back to Leviticus and all of the stuff about how uh, offerings were to be made and the quality of those offerings and what they had to look for, they just weren't bothering. They were saying, hey, bring whatever you can. We know life is tough. The, you know, the economy's not great, so we're just going to drop the bar lower and lower and lower. And the problem is, is that wherever you put the bar is about the level that people will actually rise to. So dropping the bar means less effort, less cost, and less inconvenient. So what's the solution? Malachi's solution. God, through Malachi, says something rather shocking. Just shut it down. Just close the doors. Please, one of you, shut this thing down. If it's all about a costless, convenient thing that, that, you know, you come to check off a religious box so you can get on with your day and feel good about yourself, just stop. Don't come anymore. Shut the doors so that useless, vain offerings are not brought. It's not just the quality of the offering that's at issue, though, It's the heart behind it all. Verse 13. But you say, what a weariness this is, and you snort at it. You bring what has been taken by violence or is lame and is sick, and you bring that as your offering. Shall I accept it? So it's really a heart issue on the part of the people. They're coming worship, but they want it convenient, they don't want it to cost them anything, they want it to just, I went, I went to church, I checked off the box, I read my Bible, I did my prayers, and now I can go home and feel good about everything. But that's not what God required. Where is the fear and where is the honor and where is the glory to God? Esteem matters and excellence matters in worship. Because ultimately it comes down to this. The evangelistic witness matters. Uh, Three times in this passage, verse 11, verse 14, three times God says quite plainly, his name will be great among the nations among those outside of Israel. And when God called Abraham back in Genesis chapter 12, this was one of his purposes. I have called you to myself so that 
Through you, all nations will be blessed. And, and in the prophets in Isaiah, the, the chosen servant, which uh, in many contexts in Isaiah is, is the, the people of Israel, they would be a light to the nations. And go back a couple of the prophets, the minor prophets, Haggai, and, and they've re, you know, rebuilt the temple, kind of. And he says, you know, the, 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 the desired things of the nations are going to come in. The nations are going to want in on this because... How we worship, the esteem we give our God, and the love that we pour out in worship to Him shows who He is. Shows that it changes our hearts and our lives. Now, God's going to be exalted among the nations regardless, but He always chooses to do this through His chosen people. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Israel, Christ, the apostles, the church. And so quality matters because we need to esteem our great God. We need to, to come to him with excellence and excellence of heart because if we want the gospel to transform our city and our culture, it must be the church that is first transformed. And for the church to be transformed by the gospel, the gospel must transform each and every heart. Remember, this was a matter of the heart too. So Malachi is dealing with really the worship at the temple. and the priesthood, and some of the failures there. And things have gone a little more sideways again. Remember, Nehemiah sets everything in order. They read the law, they do all this stuff, and then he goes away, and then he comes back, and Nehemiah 13, he's like, oh, it's all falling apart again. Well, Malachi's probably preaching about this time too, saying, you know, you came back from exile... God worked to bring you back to this place and has done great things for you. And now it's kind of back to the same old, same old. So how does this apply to us today? First, Nehemiah, or, or Malachi is addressing uh, the priesthood. And so 1 Peter 2.9, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You, all, church, are a royal priesthood. A, a group of people called to proclaim the goodness and the excellencies of of God and what he has done for us. Hebrews chapter 4 verses 14 to 16, since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses but one who in every 
respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Not only are we called to be a royal priesthood, but we have the great high priest, Jesus Christ. Therefore, let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace and help in our times of need. And if we think through the perfect sacrifice situation that Malachi was identifying, let's hear Hebrews chapter 10, 11 to 14. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sin. But when Christ, who offered for all time a single sacrifice for sin, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting for the time until his enemies should be made his footstool, for by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And then finally, it would be good to meditate on these ones. Romans chapter 12, 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So Malachi is talking to priests, he's talking about sacrifice, he's talking about a per, uh, the, the, the necessity for excellent and perfect sacrifices. This applies to us today because we are now a priesthood who are called to live as a sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, but... Jesus Christ has made the perfect sacrifice so that we can be the perfect sacrifice. He is the perfect sacrifice so we can stand holy in his sight. So here's kind of where I think we need to think about this a little bit today. How do we live this out as a calling to be priesthood who come under the perfect sacrifice of Christ and live this out as a living sacrifice of our lives to God. Here's the first thing I think we have to realize is that all of our sacrifices that we bring are broken, blind, and lame. But now God accepts the broken and blind and lame sacrifices of our lives because of the perfect sacrifice of Christ. We live this out slowly, deliberately, sometimes painfully. It's a journey and it's not instant. The first thing I think we need to do in this is we need to admit our brokenness and our inability to restore our own lives. We can't bring the perfect, awesome sacrifice. None of us can. Only Jesus can. Only Jesus did. And so stop stressing about whether or not you measure up to some level of holiness before you get involved in ministry, before you uh, start serving and giving 
or, or any of that. We need to first admit our brokenness and ability to restore our lives. Second, we need to face the hurt in our hearts that we have been avoiding, escaping, medicating, or denying. We need to get to the place where we're that woman at the well, where we just receive from Jesus. Or the, the, the blind beggar who just says, I just want to see. Or, or the father who has the son and, and, and he says, I, I believe, help my unbelief. And some of us have been going through life saying, we're fine, we're fine, we're fine. Everything's fine here, but we're really not. And God no longer wants you to be a perfect sacrifice or to bring a perfect sacrifice. The perfect sacrifice is done. What he wants now is your broken spirit and contrite heart. We need to be inviting Jesus, thirdly, to increasingly identify our brokenness so he can bring healing and forgiveness, restoration, and reconciliation to our lives and our relationships. In contrast to Malachi, Jesus is now asking you to bring him your broken, sinful, blind, lame, and sick life to his throne of grace so that he can heal and restore your life. The sacrifice that God wants from you today is simply the sacrifice he has always wanted from his people. Psalm 51:17. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O oh God, you will not despise. For I have loved you, says the Lord, and I do not change. Here's something I think a lot of people in churches today need to hear. You no longer have to pay for your past or make up for your failures by trying harder. The cross, the last perfect, whole, sinless sacrifice has been made for you. The invitation today is to stop trying to make your life work, face the reality of your brokenness and desperate attempts to do better, to be better and to surrender to the one who has done everything that you or I could never do. And in our brokenness and in our sin and in our broken and worn out condition, God's love for you, his acceptance of, for you was fully demonstrated on the cross. I have loved you, says the Lord. I do not change. Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 to 30 from the message. We'll close with this. Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. 
I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Let's pray. Lord, as we look back and as we reflect on the necessity for the people under the old covenant to bring the perfect sacrifice, a costly uh, gift, we thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are the ultimate, sinless, perfect sacrifice for us. And that that whole system is over. And now the sacrifices of God... The sacrifice you've always wanted isn't just a, a mere repetition of religious routine, but a broken spirit and a contrite heart you will not despise. So Lord, I pray that you would help us to embrace those broken areas of our lives and, and connect with you on it and turn them over to you so that we can find healing and grace in our time of need. That if we're worn out and burned out on the religious routine, if we're like Malachi's audience saying this is a chore, this is a bore, this is not worth it, that Lord, we would turn that heart over to you, that you may infuse us and heal us and, and make us new so that we can worship you as a son honors his father and as a servant his master, and that we would embrace the calling you have for us to be a transformed people who have met the Lord Jesus Christ so that our lives would be changed, our church would be changed, our city would be changed, and our culture would know that you are the Lord and there is no other. Lord, open our hearts to you and to one another. As we open this journey through Malachi, as he touches on things that hurt, would we come to a place of surrender to your loving grace? For I have loved you, declares the Lord, and I do not change. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great week. Uh, go with God. Embrace what he has for you in Jesus Christ. Amen.